For he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first must be slave of all. And so in the face of Jesus' comments, we must ask the question, what do we think is greatness? Whom do we ascribe greatness to? What's our definition? What's even the definition of this church? See, Jesus is the one who has the answer. He provides the answer. And He provides the promise. That He who would be great among you must be your servant. And He who would be first among you must be your slave. And so, what I want us to do during this time as we uh, look at this passage is to examine three things. Number one, we need to recognize the misconceptions that we harbor about greatness. We need to recognize the misconceptions. Number two, we need to realign ourselves with the right understanding of greatness. Recognizing the misconceptions, realigning ourselves with the right understanding. And then finally, number three, we need to resolve to live as great ones, to choose the path and patterns of greatness. Because you can only be great for God when greatness is no longer your God. Well, let's look at these points. Number one, recognize misconceptions that you have about greatness. Jesus has been walking toward Jerusalem and he's been starting to communicate what is going to happen to him. And along the way, he's been telling these stories or having these encounters. Such as with the rich young ruler, the powerful and famous that comes to him. And Jesus says to give up everything and come and follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. And yet the man goes away sad. Jesus goes on to say that he is going to be killed by the Pharisees in Jerusalem and that he will rise again. But the scriptures say that they did not understand what he was saying and they were afraid to ask him. Well, we get to this point in Mark 10, 35, when Jesus again, right before this passage, has talked about the sacrifice he's going to make. And here is James and John's response. The sons of Zebedee came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? We want to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your glory. Matthew 20, which is a parallel passage, says that his Salome, the woman Salome, that comes up and asks this question. Salome is the mother of James and John. And in that culture, when one comes and asks for the other, it's as if they asked. So we really have three people here. Salome, the mother of James and John, coming to ask this question. Now the question is, why? Why do we ask, ask this question? Why is Salome here? The reason is, if you look at the passages and the overall uh, evidence in Scripture, you discover that Salome is the sister of Mary. And because Salome is the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that makes John and James Jesus' cousins. Now, as we know in this world, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Salome is pulling a fast one. James and John, it's, it's a case of nepotism, if you will. Surely, your cousins should be the ones to sit on the right and left hand out of all of these disciples. Well, in Mark 10, 41, it says, when they heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, the other ten disciples. Why were they indignant? Was it because of the audacity of their request 
That they would think such a thing? Not at all. Because just a little bit earlier, uh, it was saying that they were arguing on the road who would be the greatest. They're indignant because James and John are trying to pull rank with this nepotism. Jesus aptly responses in verse 38, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Their interpretation is simply this. To drink the cup is to drink the cup of a king. A king has his chalice. He has his cup bearer. In other words, they're thinking, can you sustain this honor that I'm about to receive? Or can you be baptized with the baptism that I have? And they remember back to Jesus coming out of the water and the dove descending and the voice from heaven and saying, this is my son with I am well pleased. See, this is their picture of their coronation. And of course they respond, yes, we can do those things. But Jesus is speaking of a different cup, isn't he? He's speaking of the cup of wrath. Whenever the cup is spoken of in the Old Testament, it's always spoken of the cup of wrath of God that the enemies of God will drink. And yet Jesus, the Son, will drink it. The baptism is the baptism into death. Whenever water is spoken of in the Old Testament, it's water of judgment. It's Jonah. It's being pulled down to the depths. It's dying. This is the cup and the baptism Jesus is speaking of. Now Jesus says to them, in fact, you will be baptized with my baptism and you will drink the cup. Not in the same way. Jesus drinks the cup and undergoes the baptism in a substitutionary way for our sin. But they will drink the cup and be baptized as they are configured into the likeness of Christ. As their greatness comes from their sacrifice. See, they are exhibiting the problem of mankind. The perennial problem that all of us experience. That simply is this. We want to be God. We're just like Satan. The beautiful angel who was close to God, but it wasn't enough. It was not enough to be an archangel. He had to take the place of God himself. Or what about man and woman in the garden? Take, eat of this fruit. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What about Jesus in the desert, where Satan says all of the kingdoms of the world will be yours, only if you worship me? The same temptation of the disciples, to be first, not last. Why do they think this way? Why do we think this way? Because we've all bought into a lie. That greatness must be obtained through ascension. It used to be even morality. It used to be even a good concept. But greatness now is obtained through accumulation of money, of fame, even notoriety. We want glory at whatever the cost. In fact, you can walk into a movie theater and shoot 20 people with a semi-automatic rifle and be the topic of conversation for the next four weeks on the talk shows. We want glory at any cost. You know, one of the most dangerous positions to be in is mine. Think about it. Why is it that so many pastors are disgraced and fall? It's because they're so close to the glory. 
They're preaching the glory of Christ. But as the glory ascends to Him, they cannot help to want a little bit of it for themselves. And they forget what it's all about. We've all bought into the lie that greatness can be obtained through ascension. But you see, greatness cannot be obtained. It must be bestowed. Jesus said, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? See, the greater is the one that bestows greatness to the lesser. It's not the person that knights the queen, it's the queen that knights the person. We want to ascend to God to have the right to be glorified, maybe even to take His place. But Jesus shows us that the way to ascend to God is not to go up, but to go down. And so, my friends, before we can truly understand Jesus' passage, we have to examine our own hearts. What is the praise that I seek to obtain? From who will I get it? What will be the manner in which I obtain it? I don't know if you've kept a, a, your, uh, if, if you uh, take a look at the stories regarding Mount Everest. Since the first recorded deaths on Mount Everest, in 1922, 233 people have lost their lives trying to reach and return from the summit. But more and more people are trying. There have been 70 deaths since 2000, the year 2000, uh, uh, 70 deaths. In fact, there have been 10 this year. It's large numbers of climbers all trying to make it on a narrow path in a small window of opportunity. Well, two of those climbers were Leanne Shovelworth and her father who set out with over 200 climbers in a narrow window of opportunity. And as they were all put to the same line, the conditions began to get poorer and poorer. Some began to falter and fail, yet the climb went on and on. Multiple times, Leanne and her father had to unclip to go around a person who was lying, dying in front of them. There was a couple, Leanne says, that were still alive, and as we passed, he raised his arm and looked at us, she said. He didn't know anyone was there. He was almost dead. He was dead when we came back down. As they passed their fellow suffering man and woman in their pursuit of individual glory. There was another case in 2006 when an estimated 40 climbers passed the dying British mountaineer, David Sharp, without stopping. In an era where climbing Everest has become a form of extreme tourism, open to anyone with $10,000, has human life come to count for less than the fulfillment of a personal ambition? My friends, it's easy to look at them and laugh and scoff, but we must examine our own hearts. What is the praise that I seek to obtain? We are the same as Adam and Eve in the end, aren't we? How will you get your praise? Maybe you've gone to work for a law firm. And I don't know if you know much about a law firm, but it's basically an educated sweatshop. You put in your time in the beginning when you're a lowly associate, building hours, working incredible hours, building for the company as you slowly head up the ladder from junior to associate, and maybe one day the opportunity to buy into the company and be partner. But what about your family during this time when you're working 80 hours, 90 hours a week? 
come is simply say they understand one day we'll get there and then they can enjoy the fruits of my labor. And so you take more and more work. Maybe the temptation is to augment your numbers, to cook the books, to take some hours on that you don't even need to in order to bring profits. From who are you looking for praise? I have to please them. I have to be shown as worthy in order to take their place. How far are you willing to go in your quest for greatness? You see, you and I must recognize that true greatness does not come from ascension, but that it comes from sacrifice. We must decide not to take the root of Leanne Shuttleworth, but rather to take the root of Christ. Not to the top of Everest, but to the grave. We can't have both. We must repent of our lust for power, our need to be recognized, our need to be someone, and decide to be faithful and forgotten. Because you can only become great for God when greatness is no longer your God. Well, this brings me to my second point. If we have recognized the true meaning of greatness, we must realign ourselves with the right understanding of greatness. When Jesus Christ came to earth, His message was quite simple. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. What Jesus is saying is that a new kingdom has arrived. See, we often think that religion is a private matter between me and God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus did not come simply to fix your heart. Jesus came to fix everything. Because society is a macrocosm of what is wrong in the human heart. This world lives under its current king, the prince of the world. God lets him to be sure Jesus Christ is an authority, but still his influence reigns. And so we have the rules of the world. Anyone familiar with the golden rule? He who has the gold makes the rules. How about might makes right? How about survival of the fittest? How about only the strong survive? See, there's a code in the world that you must live with. But Jesus said in verse 42, as he called up to him and he said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it's not so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. See, Jesus says to the disciples, You know this to be true. Look at the Gentile rulers. Look at the Romans who are subjugated. He who is strong survives. But Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. Why? Because you belong to a different kingdom. There's a new king, a new reality that has come into the world that will ultimately consume the world. Because to be great is to be a servant. And not only a servant, your servant. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. It's personal. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. We all understand first, don't we? The first in line, the first at that place, the first to get there, the first in best seat. But a slave is totally different. A slave is last. A slave is considered 
personal property in this era. And a slave is always attached to a master. You can't have a, a slave without having a master who owns the slave. But Jesus says, whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. You must have not only one master, you should have many masters, all of them being your master. See, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom works differently, the kingdom of God works differently than the world's kingdom. In the world's eyes, salvation is obtained through self-protection and accomplishment. But Jesus earned our salvation through dying and surrendering. In the world's eyes, power is obtained by ruling and conquering. But Jesus became all-powerful through serving and subordinating himself to others. In the world's eyes, to get more power, you have to get to the center. It's Washington, D.C. But in the power of the kingdom, the way you get power is to go to the fringes, to go to the maligned, to go to the forgotten. In the world's eyes, wealth is obtained by wits and savvy and accumulation. But Jesus obtained wealth by giving everything away. In the world's eyes, greatness is achieved through accomplishment, fame, and even notoriety. But in the kingdom, greatness is achieved by giving yourself and your reputation away. You know, every now and then, in news or in world history, we see a glimpse of the kingdom of God breaking through. It's Mother Teresa in Calcutta, choosing to live a life, a simple life of poverty, helping those who are dying. It's a soldier on the battlefield who gives his life for his friend. It's not General Patton, it's the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King calling for equality, taking up not arms, but a, but a strategy of nonviolence. See, Jesus manifests this kingdom which is coming, for he is the king. As the king, so the kingdom. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. Jesus came to serve. He came to give his life. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. This word ransom in Greek, lutron, is literally what you pay to free a slave. The amazing thing is that we believe that Jesus was the slave and we are free, but it's the exact opposite. Jesus has come to free us from being slaves. Slaves to Satan. Slaves to the world. Slaves for all of the rules out there that says, you must do this, you must own this, you must look like this, you must not talk to those people, you must try to be like those people. Again and again, Jesus has come to free us from the world. To realign us with reality. I want to tell you about a friend of mine, his name is Chris Toman. Chris is one of my heroes. When I was a young life uh, staff person in uh, Augusta County, the first school I was involved with was Fort Defiance High School. How's that for a name for you? <coughs> the Fort. The Fort Defiance Indians. Well, Chris Toman was the middle linebacker for the Fort Defiance Indians. So when you're the middle linebacker for Fort Defiance, you better be a pretty tough guy. Chris was a tough guy. He was the head of the team. He was the head of the school. 
If Chris said it, it was going to happen. Well, Chris started coming to Young Life. There's some buddies of his that said to come. And he started hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, it struck his heart. You know, even the most powerful people in the world, you think they have it all together. They feel precariously balanced on a position. That if they just move to the right or left, they'll fall over. You know, one of the most dangerous things is to be a drop-dead beautiful woman. Because you're wondering, do people really like me for who I am? What happens as the years come along? Chris Tobin heard, Chris Tobin heard the message of the gospel and he believed. And it began to change his life. Chris went into the world, that specific place in the school I call the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, also known as the lunchroom. <laughs> you ever been in a place of dangerous place, segregated and segmented into its rings of power? It is the lunchroom. And Chris Tobin was at the pinnacle of power. You have the main table, and then the next tables that radiate around that table, and so on, and so on, and so on. Everybody either trying to get to the top, or the people that have said, forget it, there's no way I'm going to get to the top, I'm going to go to the end. Well, Chris Tobin was the king of the lunchroom. But one day Chris did this. He stood up from his lunch table, and he started walking toward the fridge. Then no one gave him any thought, he's going to get water, he's going to get that, whatever. But then Chris proceeds to sit down at the furthest table from the center. Hey, is it okay if I sit here? It's okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> Chris, tell me, now the silence is palpable. You can drop a pin. What is Chris doing? Nobody does that. Nobody goes from the center and goes out to the outside. Chris did. And proceeding over days and days. Chris would sometimes sit at this table, but he would sit at this table, or this table, or this table. Chris began to care nothing about the social ladder. Why? Because he belonged to a different king. And a different kingdom. Where up is down, and down is up, and black is white, and white is black. You know, in a strange way, the school loved Chris Tolman even more. Though they couldn't quite figure out what caused him to do what he did. You know, how do you want to live? This is not just a philosophy, by the way. Teaching is something new that we can kind of pull the trot. This is the kingdom of God that has broken into the world. It's the true reality where everything else is false. Down is up and up is down. Which king do you want? Which kingdom do you want to embrace? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? I don't know about you, but I'm sort of tired of this kingdom. Sort of tired of jumping through the hoops. Of all the expectations of all the things that I have to aspire to, which are as chaff in the wind when I look at them. I want to live his way. By his kingdom. But what if up means down, and that down means I'm supposed to sell my cushy house and move to Africa? So be it. What if God tells me to move my dentistry practice and head into the inner city and help people? 
Probably he won't. The odds of God calling you to move to Africa are infinitesimal. But it's a possibility. And you know what? If you follow his call, you will discover life. But you have to decide who you're going to realign your life with. What if it wasn't as big as moving to Africa? What if it was simply serving the people at your office? Your fellow workers? Beginning to be their barista, as it were. Beginning to come underneath them and serve them, even if you were over them. What about loving your enemies? The jerk that everybody hates in the office. What about coming along and sitting down beside them? See, Jesus says, trust in the way of the Lord and be not on your own understanding. You acknowledge Him in all ways. He will make your path straight. Jesus has given us a new reality, and He's given us a picture of where and who to follow Himself on the cross. You see, it's the grace of Christ that frees us from being a slave to power and glory. We can become great for God because greatness no longer has to be our God. And so we must recognize the truth of the world. We must realign ourselves with the true kingdom. And finally, we must choose to live as great ones. You know, we look at this whole thing and it sounds great when we're sitting here. You know, but that was Jesus. Jesus chose that. No way I can. I mean, think of the pressures that are on me. How can we do this? Jesus gave us an example. Jesus showed us. But even more, Jesus gave us himself. He gave us his grace and he gave us himself. He not only gave us an example, he transformed our heart. A new heart, a new reality. Like Chris Tolman. The ability to see what other people cannot see. And as He has transformed our heart, He calls us to walk in faith. Whoever would be great among you must serve. And whoever would be first must be slave of all. What if you took a step and threw caution to the wind and started to value the things of the kingdom? Started to serve People might not understand. People might not like it. But you would lay your head down on your pillow at night in peace because you live in harmony with the kingdom and with yourself. Part of the reason, Christian, why you have no peace is you have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. And that's a horrible place to be. Be all in for one of them, but not both. Jesus had the choice in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup for me, Father, and I don't want to do it. But not as I will, but you will. He entrusted himself to God. And he is in you, and you are in him. What if you live this way in your family? Not a different lifestyle, but a different life. Brothers and sisters loving one another. Sacrificing. Husbands for your wives. For your parents, a new reality, a picture of the kingdom of God manifested. What if our church began to live like this? What if when people walked in the room, they saw something they could not quite comprehend? A different reality manifesting the invisible kingdom. 
See, the way people are going to see Jesus is they're going to look at you and me. And they're going to wonder what's different. If they see us living by the kingdom, it will rattle their understanding of God. They may not know his name, but they'll say, whatever that guy has, I want to know more about it. This is how the kingdom works. It expands with normal people like you and me. Little churches in the corner that shouldn't make it. Growing together in faith. Step by step, friends. Five years from now, we're going to be there. The question is, who are we going to be? We must replace our values with the kingdom of the world. We must live in dependence with one who went before us. We must let the gospel change our hearts from the inside out. And as Jesus depended on the Father to live the right way, so we must depend on Him. If you are a Christian, you have a new king. You have a new kingdom. And in classic fashion, you can't see it with sight. Only by faith. But it starts here. So be free in Christ. Be free to love. Be free to give yourself away. Be free to give up on your life that you might receive true life. The grace of Christ frees us from being a slave to power and glory. And so become great for God by making greatness no longer. By God's grace we can and we will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, for these words, for they teach us the reality that we might no longer be deceived by the patterns of this world, but we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we truly understand the kingdom that is coming to fruition and the kingdom that is coming to nothing. Lord, fix our hearts on the truth. Let us not settle for the cheap imitation. Let us follow in your footsteps. Let this truth become our feet and our hands and our voice in this church, in our families, at our workplaces. Lord, may your kingdom come. We seek it first. Only meet us and walk with us along the way. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.